continue our series. We're in 1 Timothy. So if you've got a Bible, we're, we're reading that in a sec. I was in a church service. We'd just been speaking on uh, being doing more stuff rather than just speaking about it. Action more than words. And we just finished a sermon in this old guy comes up to me who was a Baptist minister and had retired and he came up and said I got an idea and I was like oh that sounds good I says what's the idea he says why don't we go to Africa and I thought why don't we so he organized a trip to go to Africa which is very exciting he'd been in his ministry over there quite a few times but uh, what was exciting is we'd never really done we talked a lot but never done any sort of mission trip so we were quite excited by this prospect of going to Africa to go and make a difference anyway as the weeks and months went on we eventually got to to about two months before we're due to go when he brought me the program that came from the African church and when he brought me the program which is a little bit of paper and he said I said, so what sort of things we're going to, going to be doing? And, and he went through, but one of them said, on the Thursday, we'll go and preach to a, a village. And then on the Sunday, we'll baptize all those who came to Christ. And then on the Monday, we'll establish that new church. And I'm looking at it going, what? We're English. We don't do stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anyway, I didn't go on the trip, but um, the, the, those who did go on the trip is exactly what happened. On the, on the Thursday, they showed the Jesus video uh, at a village, and all the village turned up. And the, those who responded, where, where there was 85 of them, all were baptized in the river on the Sunday. And there started a new church. On the Monday, they had to establish that church. Now, you... It seems great, and you're going to think this is how it started in the New Testament. Paul would go and preach somewhere and establish it. But you've got to think, these are people who don't know the Bible. They don't know about how to be a church leader. They don't know how to, to, who's going to come and speak. So all those things that we take for granted today, they weren't there in this church. And they had to be learned. They had to bring some leaders in to help them. And it's the same with Paul. When Paul started a church, you know what I mean? People become Christians, but then they had to find who was going to be elders and how to appoint them. So we're looking at Timothy. Now, I'll see if you can remember. Timothy was, was young, remember? Paul said to him, don't let anyone look down upon you if you're, because you're young, but set them an example. He was sickly. Paul told him, take a little bit of wine for your stomach. He, he was prone to being sick, ill. He was timid. He said that the, the spirit of God didn't make us timid, but gave us a spirit of power, of authority. Tim, Timothy had a, 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 the scholars say he had a tendency to lean rather than to lead. But Paul called Timothy and he had a plan and he had a purpose for him to do. Do you ever wonder where Paul found Timothy? You see, when Paul went to Lystra, we all know the story of Lystra, don't we? When Paul and Barnabas went to Lystra, there was a man there with a lame leg, and they prayed for him, and he was healed. And the whole town thought, oh, that gods are visiting us. So they turn up with sacrifices that were going to offer to, to Paul and Barnabas. They thought they were the gods, and they had to say, no, 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 we're not the gods. 
We're only people. And then the crowd stirred up by, by the Jews, stoned them, and left Paul outside the city thinking he was dead. But he wasn't dead. And it said he got up, was comforted by the believers, and left. But it's in this time that there was a young man who became a Christian who was called Timothy. It's at that point that Timothy became a Christian. He was brought up by his mum, who, who was a Jew, and his dad was a Greek. And how, how it goes, if your mother's Jewish, that's how you get brought up. You'll be brought up in the Jewish tradition. But here he found Christ. And then he starts to follow Timothy, sorry, follow Paul round and learn from Paul over the next few years. At the end of his missionary trip, Paul and Barnabas go and report to the church in Jerusalem all that God's been doing around the world. And imagine how exciting that that God has turned up, that God has, has revealed himself to the Gentiles, to those who weren't Jewish. But there's an issue. And I imagine the issue is this, that the church is full of women and kids But all the guys, they would drop them off and stay in the car park with the car. Because at those days, to become a Christian, if you were a Gentile, meant that you had to have a little op. And it seemed that most of the guys went up for this. And so Paul and Barnabas went to plead their case in Jerusalem, saying, look, this is is difficult for us, never mind for them. And they came to the conclusion that, yeah, you're right. And, and the, the words that they use, let's not make it difficult for people to find Christ. And so they put some rules in that were the basic rules. You're not to eat food that's sacrificed to idols. You're not to be involved in sexual immorality. But all the rest of the rules will let them go. And all the church throughout Europe and Asia went, yes. And imagine many people joined. Now, at this point, Paul and Barnabas had a fallen out. And so Barnabas went off with his, uh, his nephew Mark. And Paul, with Titus, uh, uh, Silas, thank you, went off to tell all the churches the good news of what the, the church had decided. But he thought, I ought to take Timothy with me. And do you know what he did to, to, to Timothy before he took him? That little op. And I think, why? <laughs> why? Why do it? But you know, that screams a lot about Timothy. That he is up for anything if God's involved. And so him and Paul went round telling, the, telling everyone what the council in Jerusalem had agreed. That you didn't need to be sacrificed, sacrificed circumcised to, to be a Christian. And then Paul sends him to Ephesus, to the biggest church with some of the biggest problems, to go and to be a leader there. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3. I love the sound of all the pages rattling. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says this, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, 
faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the church, uh, take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulgent in much wine, not pursuing dishonest, dishonest gain. They must keep hold of deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then there is nothing against them. Let them serve as deacons." In the same way, the, the women are to be worthy of respect, not uh, malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well will gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So this idea of, of leadership in the church, and sort of Paul is spelling it out for Timothy. Find some leaders. This is what you're looking for. These are the qualities. Now, here's a question. How many people in the room have been a church leader over the years? Look, all these hands going up. Excellent. Okay, hands up. Hands up who's going to be a church leader in the next couple of years. I've been a church leader. I was figuring it out last night, how long I've been a church leader. I've consistently been a church leader since the 1980s. Some of you weren't even born back then. But I've been a church leader since uh, for the last 36 years. And can I say, it's still not easy. I've been a church leader in, in large churches and small churches, mainly large churches, mainly bigger than this one. I've seen all forms of crazy things going on. Um, I've worked with some amazing people. The first church where I became a, a, an elder in, the elders' meetings were on a Thursday morning at six o'clock. Who can make decisions at six o'clock? I have no. As soon as they started to open that, that, that meeting in prayer, I don't know what happened. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure I woke up at nine o'clock thinking, amen, that's a great meeting, but six o'clock. For, um, thankfully, we don't do it in, in our church. We have sensible meetings. Uh, do you know how often our leaders meet? They meet twice a month. They meet on the first Thursday, what we call business, getting, uh, making sure that the church runs well, and on the the, the third Sunday and the third Thursday in the month, we meet for prayer, um, and also sometimes we meet to, to socialise together as well. This idea that prayer, being friends, leading church is really important to us. Do we all know who our leaders are? We have five leaders. <laughs> we we got Ian Williams. He's one of our leaders. We got Liz. We got Scott. Uh, who's here, we've got Howard, 
and we have got Agnes, and we've also got Danny, but he's a minister, so it doesn't really count. <laughs> Can I also say, in all the leaderships over the years that I've been involved in, this one is one of the best ones I've been involved in. We've got people who genuinely, lovingly want to serve you as church. They sacrifice a lot to do that. They give up time and their energy to make sure that this place runs well. A lot of things you don't see happen in the background. But without good leaders, this place wouldn't be a good church. So let me spell out what it is it means to to be a good leader. A few years back, uh, we needed someone to decorate our house. We we have a house that we let out. And and so we had to sort of look around. And I got a quote, and I even spoke to my wife about this. I got a quote from a, a, a guy who used to be a pastor. I just couldn't get my mind round how he could decorate my house. And I'm sure he would have been brilliant at it because he was brilliant at most things. But the thought of this guy just painting a wall for me was too much for me to comprehend. This great man of God to paint a wall just seemed wrong. And I spoke to him about it when I had to say, look, I've gone for someone else. And he smiled and he says, I get a lot of this because, you know what I mean, people find it difficult to to book me. And I went, I'm really sorry. He went, no. But it just seems that people held him in such a high regard. And that's how we should treat leaders. They give up a lot. So these are the things. They must be above approach, faithful to their spouse, temperate, Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manage their family. That's a good one, isn't it? We have a sign in our house that says, you know what I mean, um, pretend we're not, pretend we're normal if anyone comes around, something like that. You ever have that on the phone? Remember the the old-fashioned phones used to have one to the house? You know what I mean? You have to go, right, everyone, quiet down. I'm on the phone. Hi, Steve here. <laughs> Sorry, um, manage their family. Children to obey them. Worthy of full respect when it comes to family life. Not a new Christian. A good reputation with non-Christians as well. How we do leadership here matters. We believe strongly in this thing called the priesthood of all believers, which is mentioned in 1 Peter 2.9. What that means for me is that God doesn't speak just to to the paid professional, but he speaks to everybody. Every one of us can hear from God. So when we gather 
um, at Shaping NBC. We're, we're gathering because we've all heard from God. And we're trying to see what is God saying to us and how is God leading us. When we gather leaders, we're looking for people who are humble, who are going to do something. But they're just ordinary. You don't have to be super spiritual. We're just people who love God, who follow him, who God has called at this time to lead the church. There's lots of things I think we can learn about leadership. But for me, it's finding the, the leaders something that God has stirred and moved within their hearts. God's called lots of people over the years to, 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 to move and to run and things. But here's a few things that we can learn in the Bible about leadership. Leaders do what's right even if they do it alone. Leaders do things right, even if they're only the one person who does it. That's what good leaders do. Like Noah. It says the whole world had gone, gone crazy in Noah's day, that everyone was doing what they want. The whole world had gone mad, but not when it came to Noah. Say Noah was righteous. He did what was right. And even though the world was all doing everything crazy, he just wanted to serve and love God. That's what I expect from leaders. To do what's right, even though it may not go along with the flow. We've got to stand and say, this is what God is saying and this is what we're going to do. Just like Noah did. Leadership. It's about doing something risky. It's about following God, even not knowing what that means. Remember when God called Abraham? He said, I'm going to take you to a new land. I'm going to take you from, from your people, from your family, from your dad, and I'm going to lead you in a new place. That's scary, terrifying. But that's what leaders do. They step into the unknown and say, what is it, God? Wherever you're leading us, that's where we're going to go. They embrace the unknown. Leaders, they endure despite their circumstance. Remember Joseph? Probably one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. But it did seem that everything he touched for most of his life went wrong. God gave him dreams, but when he told his brothers he wasn't popular. I, I, remember, I, I don't have brothers and sisters. So I once said, that's a bit harsh being him. You know what I mean? His brother's going to kill him and sell him as a slave. And the guy went, you obviously don't have brothers. I'd quite happily sell my brother if I could get a fair price for him. <laughs> but he was. It was like uh, his brothers were, you know what I mean, were against him. And, and he gets sold off as a slave. He ended up in, in Potiphar's house, again, as a great leader, suddenly he sort of becomes to the, to the top, you know, in Potiphar and puts him in charge of everything. But then, a false accusation from, from Potiphar's wife ends him in jail. When he goes to jail, because the, 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 of his leadership, it's said that the guy in charge of jail puts him in charge of everything. And then he has these dreams for these two prisoners and said, one of you is going to go back and serve the king, but the other guy... It's not so good for you. 
And it happens. And the guy who's put back in his position, he forgot Joseph. Again, Joseph just in jail by himself, forgotten. But just at the right time, the king, Pharaoh, has this dream. And no one can interpret except for Joseph. And again, Joseph's leadership comes out. The Pharaoh puts him in charge of everything under him. And, uh, and he manages not only to save Egypt, he manages to save his own family. And at the end of, of Joseph's story, um, you have these words, what you intended to harm me, God meant is good. He could see God's hand through all the pain All those years of being in prison, being falsely accused of all the things that had gone wrong, he could see God's hand in it all. Leaders endure in spite of the circumstances. Leaders stick up for their people. Moses, remember, called by God to go and uh, confront the king of Egypt. Let my people go. Took him a while, didn't it? But he would always stick up for his people. He started to even speak, as as listening to someone the other day, he, he would, even when God wanted to do something, Moses would stick up for the people and say, no, don't make that happen. Let them be. He started to speak like God. He had a heart like God. He cared for the people. He led them well. Joshua, leaders rule by example rather than by command. It was him who led the people. Him who loved God. I love Joshua. It seems he was the only one who never seemed to mess up in the Bible. Isn't he? I, I can't think of any time you can find every other character have got their flaws, quite big flaws, but not Joshua. He seems to always be the guy. And I love it. Um, there was this prophecy made by Moses. He says, one day you'll get into the promised land. And he says, you'll be living in homes you didn't build. You'll be eating from, from, the, from the cupboards that you didn't put in. It will be someone else's. You'll be drinking from, from cold water from the well that you did not dig. And he says, and in them days... Don't forget your God that gave you all this. So skip on a few decades. Moses has died. They're in the promised land and they're living in houses they didn't make. They're eating from cupboards that they didn't put in themselves. They're, they're drinking from this well. And all the people have started to adopt all the gods that were in that land. And they say, oh. And eventually they bring out old Joshua. Now towards the end of his life. He can hardly stand, he says. He's leaning on his, on, his, on his stick, on his staff. And they say, tell us, what do you think? And he comes up with his simple phrase. He says, as for me and my household, we choose to serve the living God. And a revival breaks around. The whole people go, yeah, that's what we want too. We will serve him. He was an example. He didn't expect other people to do it. He would do it himself. When they went to war, he was at the front. 
when God asked him to do the crazy thing, he was the one who did the crazy things. I want you, Joshua, to march round the city once, then twice, then three times. And on that last day, we want you to march round and then blow the trumpets. You're thinking, can we not just knock over a wall? <laughs> no, leave that for me. You just do as I've told you to do. And he does it. Leaders are not afraid of giants. It says at the time, King Saul was the tallest guy in Israel, head and shoulders above everyone else, a bit like me. No, I'm a head and shoulders below everyone else. Sorry, uh, tall fella. And then one day, they're at, they're at war, and there's a, a valley, and there's two armies, and this one guy from the Philistines stands in the middle and says, come on in. Why don't you send someone to come and fight me? And when everyone saw him, including the king, he was pretty tall, saw how big he was, they hid. They were terrified. One guy who was visiting the camp to give his brothers food was a little guy called David. We're not quite sure how old he was, but when Goliath saw him, he laughed because he was so young. Think how terrifying it would have been to walk down that valley to face him. A man who'd been fighting most of his life, a trained warrior, and down comes a boy. No armor, one, one little sling, five little stones. Leaders aren't afraid of giants. We often have to face big things in life. As a leadership team, we have to face quite a few things that go on in this church. But we know this, that God is with us. And whatever we face, it won't be that we face it alone. Leaders aren't afraid of giants. Leaders rise to the occasion. One of my favorite bits of the Bible is when Isaiah is in his, it has this vision and he enters God's temple. God is on the throne and all the angels are praising him. I'll, I'll tell you why it's my favorite bit of scripture. Because he paints this beautiful picture. We all know it, don't we? And he's in there and it's like, wow. And then he realizes and goes, oh no, I'm a man with unclean lips. And he's like, I'm in, oh, I'm in trouble now. And it says the angel goes to the, to, the, to the fire and picks up a coal and touches his lips to make them clean. I love it. And you don't hear, and Isaiah goes, oh, that's hot. He doesn't say that. He's just in awe about everything that's going on. And you know the cool thing is, in John chapter 12, it says that Isaiah saw that it was Jesus on the throne. Isn't that awesome? When he sees this, he says, this is a vision that he had of Christ. I like, wow. Anyway, Isaiah, he's in there, and all this is going, it's like, wow. And then the question is, but who will go? And Isaiah goes, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. Why? Because leaders rise to the occasion. Leaders, you know what I mean? When is a lack of it? The church is in trouble, but leaders rise up and does something. Leaders do things 
that need to be done, even if it comes at a cost. Daniel knew that if he prayed that he would end up in, in the lion's den. He knew that. But did it stop him praying? No. Why? Because God is bigger than anything else. And leaders know that. Leaders know that if there's a cost to it, I will, I will pay that cost. Why? Because that's what leaders do. Leaders aren't afraid to call out which which things aren't right. Remember John the Baptist? I love him. There was, there's no messing with him. You know what I mean? When it came to to baptizing people, and down came some uh, some of the um, Pharisees. And he shouts to them, yeah, brood of vipers, you're like dead man's graves. You know what I mean? He really has a go, doesn't call back. When the king turns up, he has a, shout, has a shouting thing at him. You can't marry your brother's sister. What you're doing is wrong. No, it's not his brother's sister, it's his brother's wife. Yeah, it's wrong, it's wrong. Leaders aren't afraid to call out what isn't wrong. Leaders have to lead like Jesus and learn to be servants. The worst leaders I have served with over the years have been those who think they can treat church like a business and lead it. That's not how we do leadership here. We need to learn to be servants and only by being servants that we do what God has called us to do. Last couple of things. Leaders recover from failure. Peter messed up. He denied Jesus, but yet when, when he's um, approached by Jesus, he wasn't afraid to get things right and do what needed to be done. Leaders recover from failure. Failure actually is what makes the church strong. Last one, leaders are passionate for what they believe in. And you can see that through Paul. Whatever came at Paul, he, he had to deal with. Remember, if you ever see that list in Acts, you know I mean, I was stoned, I was beaten with rods, I was thrown in prison, I was naked, I knew what hunger was like, I was shipwrecked. But whatever came, he never gave up in God. Leaders are passionate for what they believe in. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the leaders in this room, for those who are serving at this current time. We thank you that you've called them, that you've anointed them for this, and we pray that they lead well. I pray that you help them to step up and to do what you've called them to do. Pray and thank you for all those who've led this church in the past. We thank you for their service. And Father, we pray for those who are going to lead it in the future. Raise up good leaders here. But we remember that we only do what you call us to do. So help us to follow you as our true leader. For I assist in your name. Amen.